Hi, I'm Michelle Adams, and welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. This is the place where we sit down with the writers of your favourite books and talk to them about the inspiration behind the stories that they write. In each episode of this podcast, you'll get the chance to meet the author behind one of my favourite books and be introduced to a novel that I have personally loved and which I think and hope you'll love too. Beyond Words is where the story continues once the final page has been turned. Welcome back to the Beyond Words podcast. Today's guest has had her short fiction published in different journals, anthologies and magazines, including Mislexia and the London Magazine. Her essay on writing ethnic stories won the London Magazine inaugural essay prize and her short fiction piece, Jellyfish, won the Brighton Prize. More recently, her short story, Not Contagious, was highly commended by the Costa Short Story Award. Her first full-length novel, Out of Touch, was published this past April, and it was an absolute joy to read. I am very excited today to introduce you to Halle Agar. Welcome to the podcast, Halle. Hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here with us to talk about this fabulous book that you've written, Out of Touch. Thank you. What I'd love to ask you to do is um, to invite you to read a short passage to begin with. If that's okay. That would be great. Thank you so much. I'll uh, read from chapter one of of Touch, and this is from Ava's perspective. Okay. I'll begin. Chapter one. A man hit Ava with his car a few miles from her bungalow. He said he didn't mean to do it. Ava told him she believed him. Of course I believe you. She said it like that in the dark. It was an accident course. It wasn't possible to see what he looked like lying on her side in that muddy ditch, and she didn't move her neck, afraid she'd cause it damage. The pain in her back and hips felt bright and urgent, and yet a calmness washed through Ava. She didn't need to decide what to do about her father's letter. Her mind could rest here. The man phoned the emergency services and relayed questions to her. They're asking if you're bleeding anywhere. He might have said that. Ava's attention wavered. She felt him hovering over her, but didn't mind because he smelt like a fresh bar of soap, clean and sharp. I can't be sure about the bleeding, he said. It's hard to see in the dark. The urgency in his voice reminded Ava of her grandmother Katrina and the rushed way she used to shout into the phone when she called her brother in Greece trying to reach him across all that land and sea. The ambulance people want to know about your vision. Two long and shaky fingers appeared in front of Ava's nose. How many is that? Two? Good. The man's voice brightened. Yeah, she said the right number of fingers. But when the call ended, he spoke to her again with agitation. Why were you out here? It's dangerous walking on this road at night. I needed to clear my head. Ava's eyes darted up, but all she could see were nettles. She thought of asking the man to look for her father's letter, but he was so full of anxiety, pacing back and forth above her, that she felt that she needed to leave it. He introduced himself as Sam. Ava, I'd shake your hand, but... He didn't laugh. It was the same at work. Jokes met with silence. If she survived this, she would learn to be funny. Do you mind if I smoke? He said. It helps calm my nerves. No, go ahead. 
Headlights cut through the darkness, but there were no sirens and soon the lights faded into the night. All they could do now was wait, wait for the ambulance, wait to see if she would live or die. Could she still feel her legs? Why don't I pause it there? That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. That was just a short snippet from um, the first chapter. Well, it's a fabulous opening to a, to a book that I really, really enjoyed. When I, when I saw this book, I'm, I'm fairly sure remembering back now, it was just a book that um, stood out to me on Amazon. I don't think that I'd seen your social media profiles or anything uh, before I saw the book. And as soon as I read the first couple of pages, I knew that I was just going to love it. And that's because you have this very, very sharp, prose it's very tight and uh, you have this lovely voice in the book that I really really enjoyed that's so lovely to hear thank you so much it it just seems to really keep the pace of the story moving forward oh that's brilliant um a lot of the fiction I actually read has that sort of sparse style of prose hardback there's something really nice about reading a story that's sharply told to you it keeps the pace really fast and you feel like you're it's almost as if you're listening to your own thoughts that's yeah that's brilliant and it just feels uncluttered doesn't it you can exactly, focus on the story exactly and the characters yes so first off before we talk too much about anything else tell me a little bit about what out of touch is about so out of touch is about a fractured family uh siblings michael and ava who haven't seen each other in a long time. And their father, who's also estranged from them, gets in touch um, to say that he's quite ill. And they now are faced with this decision about whether to come together um, or, or just to stay sort of estranged and in isolation from each other. So it's a, a story about a, a family that essentially comes back together and um, it brings up tensions from the past and they have to sort of confront some of those uncomfortable events that, that happened in childhood. One of the themes that really stood out for me when I was reading this book is the idea of loss, that most of the characters are either dealing with a loss that they have experienced in the past, like you just mentioned about dealing with things from their childhood, or the fact that they are also having to consider the fact that they're going to lose something in the future with their father's illness. Mm. Um, is that a theme that you wanted to explore in this book? I think definitely it was. Um, just for me especially, the loss of connections and intimacy was really central to this book. Um, and also to my sh short story, Not Contagious, this idea of um, losing connection with those who are supposed to be closest to us. It, it definitely was um, central to this book, I'd say. And was that, was that your inspiration behind the novel? The, the, the idea of losing people that we should hold dear to us? Um, partly it was, yes. Uh, there were other sort of, motivating factors in writing out of touch. Um, I did, I do especially like to explore stories about family because in a sense we are stuck with these people. We don't get to choose who um, our parents are, who our siblings are. And so it was a great way for me to explore these intimate, intense relationships early on in life. And what do we do um, when we're sort of part of a family uh, where there are strained relationships. Do we leave? Do we just kind of cope 
cope with it. Um, so I wanted to look at how we define ourselves uh, within sort of a messy collective. Yes. And, and that I was going to come on to that in a moment about talking about how you define yourself and your own identity. Mm. Do you think also that these characters, they're not only dealing with the loss of other people or um, members of their family, but also they're dealing with the loss of who they thought they were. Their own identity has been called into question. Yes, absolutely. Um, That's exactly it. Each of the characters is sort of trying to figure out who they are outside of the family and um, whether they can be someone outside of, of 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 a difficult past. And the interesting thing, about them is that they not only are they a fractured family in the sense that they're uh, living apart from each other um michael the brother in the sibling relationship he's actually living abroad which i know both i do and you do um we're living in countries that we're we're not originally born in Mm. um and do you think that that also plays um a role in how he views his own identity yes in fact michael um distinctly made this decision to move to New York to to create his own identity apart from his family. Um, He felt there was a lot of pressure um, within the family to sort of fix his mother. Um, And so he just decided actually he was going to go start a life for himself apart from his sister and his mother in New York. It's a really interesting time, I think, when you find yourself living abroad, especially if you're moving into a new culture, because I mean, Cypriot culture is different from UK culture, and this is where I live now in Cyprus. And uh, when the when the language is new as well, um, I felt for a, for a period of time that it's almost as if you have to give up your own personality because you can't be the person you were in the other country because you can't jump in a conversation as quickly. You mm. can't, um, you don't understand the, the social norms that which are, as subtle as they are, are going to be different. And so I think when I was reading this book, that's one of the things that I really felt like I could identify with is the idea that Michael had gone to this new place to almost, whether he wanted to or not, create himself again. Yes, absolutely. And we see that with other characters too, like Elena, who um, moved from Cyprus to, um, to London and this feeling that she doesn't quite belong and she feels in between sort of both cultures. Uh, so yeah. it, it is actually one of the important themes that I explore, this, this sense of not knowing where home is. And and that is what each of your characters is trying to resolve, be it both the sister and the brother and also their father. He's perhaps trying to resolve what home he has created. Yes, absolutely. And he's not obviously happy with the past and he's trying to sort of um, not re- revise it in a way, but yes, to make a new present um, that 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 does correct his his mistakes with Michael and Ava. One thing that I did want to talk about when you mention um, their father now is is also the way that the stories we tell ourselves about our past and about the way we behave they make a huge difference not only to the people in our family but also to ourselves. And when he's faced with his own mortality, his choices that he wants to 
go back to the past that he's created because perhaps he understands that he didn't get things quite right. But do you think that he as a character struggles even to face the reality of his children's upbringing? Absolutely. I think that exactly as you said, we try to create narratives that make us feel comfortable with who we are. Um, so I think that Lee, in a sense, hasn't really fully accepted the past and, and his actions. We see that especially in his relationship with Michael, where, um, yes. you know, he, he, was, he was quite a toxic father and um, he expected his son to embody a certain type of masculinity that he saw deficient in him. And so when Michael confronts him, I, well, actually, I don't want to give away too much, but we do see exactly, as you said, this, this idea that he doesn't quite have the story right, um, or he's told himself a different story, perhaps to cope with the fact that um, he wasn't the type of father he wanted to be. Thinking about Michael and his father's relationship, and also the relationship that Michael shares with his wife, Layla, there are some difficult conversations that they all have to share, Michael with his father, I mean, and also Michael with his wife, um, which leads us on to the idea about forgiveness and whether it's possible for people to always forgive past mistakes. What kind of importance did you want as the author to put on the concept of forgiveness in the novel? That's a great question. And I think yeah, that's exactly it. I, I don't think that everything is forgivable in a sense. And I wanted the reader to explore this concept of forgiveness within themselves as well and to come to their own conclusions about it. But I think sort of what, where I was going with um, forgiveness was that for Michael and Lee, it is important to seek forgiveness, but it doesn't mean that it should be granted. And we see that struggle in Ava and um, also with Elena, when we look at yes. sort of the way Lee had treated her in the relationship. There are some really nice sections when we're referring to Elena. And if it's okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read it out. Sure. And this is, this is taken from Michael's point of view. His father used to mock Eleanor for saying cheeses and often instead of often. He would correct her whenever she got a word wrong. Herb, herb, it's herb with a H. I can't stand a person who doesn't know how to say herb. Words were important. They were the difference between the truth and a fiction, he used to tell Michael. And the reason I like that section so much, because it's just a very, a very short passage, but it see, to me, it seems to embody the whole problem that Lee had with his relationship with his children, because on the surface of it, he wants to be very certain about who he is and the story he tells himself, the kind of mm. life he leads. But on the other hand, Michael, as a son, really doesn't believe that the person Lee believes himself to be is the truth. And I like the, very much the idea that we all tell ourselves a fiction, whereas the reality is only really from other people's eyes. That's exactly it. He wants, he has certain expectations of the people around him and of himself as well, of the kind of life he leads, of the kind of person he is. Um, but that could be, you know, a stark contrast to the reality of what he's living. And the scenes with him 
they're quite heartbreaking, his interactions with Ava. I found it very hard to read them because he is just a man who has messed up and he's trying to put things right. And I mm. thought, I guess in some ways he represents all of us. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've all made mistakes in the past and we're just trying our best, you know, um, with what we know yes. at the moment. And, and with hindsight is great, right? But um, yes. yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I'm not a parent myself, but I imagine it's a really it's a really complicated thing to 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 be there to protect your children um, and to help them shape to help shape them into the people that they become. And parents are just trying their best with what they know. Um, I can't remember what it was that I was watching the other day. I think it was a, a film, and um, it said that children will always be angry with their parents. <laughs> um, until the point, until the point that, um, one child will try to correct their parents' mistakes and then their children will try to correct their mistakes until, and, until you get to the point where nobody makes any mistakes and everyone has a perfect life, which is never going to happen. Which is never going to happen. Absolutely. And it, I actually find that self with my parents too. It's, it's like now I'm sort of being quite critical, which is quite harsh actually. Yes. But um, it's like that the reversal of the roles um, begin to happen at a certain point and you're the one who's parenting. <laughs> Definitely. And, and I, see, I see it myself. I'm raising my daughter and every now and again, I say something and I look at my husband and I just say, that's not me speaking. That's my mother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where did that come from? And and it's just the they they have shaped us in every way, whether we like it or not. Absolutely, and that's what I really find fascinating is, is again that question of personal identity within you know a collective and how the culture around you and the relationships that you have shape who you become. Um, and that's what yeah. this book was really about. And you just mentioned there about culture because um, the the main characters were Michael. He he's moved to New York and he's living one in a different culture from his birth. But he also marries a person who comes from a different culture, mm-hmm, as did Lee. So what kind of um, what kind of role um, did that play when you were writing this book? Yes, I'm myself in a mixed race relationship, and. I just find that there are absolutely tensions within that when there's different cultures um, coming together, there can be clashes and there can be this sense of um, not, not fully understanding your partner and, um, but trying to, to belong, um, especially when you go into, you, you might move to a, to a foreign country and um, yes. you're both trying to sort of make sense of where you belong within within the new culture. But also the culture clashes from, let's say, um, Elena, you know, is Greek Cypriot. And we have Lee, who's Irish, who comes from an Irish working class background. And so we do find um, instances of where they don't quite see eye to eye. And um, and yeah, there's that sense of not having the community around you that might have been a support otherwise and to, that yes. sort of enhances that sense of isolation um, that you feel when let's say you don't have extended family around um, yes so Elena didn't have her extended family in London and Michael doesn't have his family um, around in New York but I, that was his that was his choice really um, but Leila also has her her parents um, not not living in New York so there is that sense of everyone being displaced in a way and trying to make sense of where they belong um, 
and also questioning not only where they belong but where they came from exactly that and we see a lot of that with michael having no connection really to his um greek heritage but being curious as a child and and trying to explore that through mythology um at the start and you know wanting to have that connection and then sort of losing losing it yeah because his, yeah. his mother really didn't share that part of herself with with him and that that sort of um it reminds me now of another part of the book that i really enjoyed there are these moments when you bring in these beautiful images and one of those that runs through the book is the idea of the moths mm. both from the artwork of another character that we haven't mentioned yet called Sarah Adams, um, but also the infestation of the moths in New York City. And I just wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about the the imagery that you chose for the book and what it meant to you. So the moths, um, there's a few reasons why the moths were chosen specifically. Uh, first of all, sort of as, you know, a nod to the fact that the the story events that happen at the bar in New York that Michael attends, they're inspired from um, moth stories, which is the same concept where people share intimate stories about their lives and they're often quite inspiring. Right. Um, so there was that nod to the moth stories that exist in New York. Um, there's also just the, the idea of an infestation just really fascinates me, um, that something is, is, is there that you can't necessarily see, um, but that's sort of <laughs> poking holes you know, through your clothes and uh, eating away at, um, at you in a sense. And it sort of represents um, this, this strain that Ava and Michael have in their lives um, because, of this, because of the relationships, the troubled relationships they have with each other. And it's sort of eating well, away that's at That's so them. interesting. Yeah, sort of that's like so eating away at the clothes. Um, so I think, yeah, that was the motivation there. Is that also why you had Sarah Adams as the artist who was creating moths as another element that was chipping away at the integrity of their relationship? Absolutely. That's, um, that's a really good observation there. Absolutely. So Sarah Adams, um, you know, who's an artist in, in the book, and um, she does create a bit of a strain between uh, Michael and Layla's relationship. She is sort of there chipping away at some of the tensions that already exist within the relationship. Um, so we see the symbolism of the moths reflected um, there in the relationship Michael has with Sarah. It was beautifully done. I, I love the whole imagery of the moths, actually. And now I have listened to you explain it. It makes so much, so much sense. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was um, about a woman's role, um, be it either in family or in society, because I think this book nods to what that means in different situations. I think all of the female characters, um, we're, we're thinking about what role they play in society, um, what different generations are expecting from female characters. And I wondered if that was something that was a conscious choice that you wanted to tackle um, what is a woman's role in society or whether perhaps talking about families it's just something that very naturally occurs yeah so um yes in terms of a woman's role i was really interested in looking at what how society defines um a woman's role within the family so we have Layla, who 
is really a strong character, I think. Um, she, you know, she was a lawyer and she's taken a year off um, to have a sabbatical to look after Jacob. And for her, this was a really difficult decision because she loved her job. So we see with her a big strain um, with staying at home. And when she really does love being out there and, and you know, excelling at what she does um, in her profession. So we see the pressure of, um, of sort of motherhood there, um, the pressures that society place on her to look after her, um, her son who was ill. Um, and we have that pressure echoed through her own mother who says, you know, Jacob comes first. So it, it's quite difficult for her and we see how she spirals through the novel. Um, there's also the idea of um, staying at home. So we have in the relationship with Elena, Ava and Michael, um, this additional pressure on Ava to stay at home and look after her mother you know, who suffers from, um, you know, being an alcoholic. So yes. there isn't that same pressure, I would say, placed on Michael, or he's, he's sort of out there being free, doing what he wants, but Ava feels this strain. Um, she feels, you know, the burden of staying at home and looking after her mother. And it was important for me to explore this because, I mean, I find in my own experience, there is a different relationship um, between parents and, and their sort of, and their daughters versus their sons. There's different yes. expectations. And, you know, we've progressed a lot, but I think it still exists in different cultures. Um, I think so. I think yes. so. Mm -hmm. um, it was, yeah, it was something that um, when I was uh, reading the parts about Layla and trying to stay home to look after her son and how difficult that is, it, it resonated because we have our daughter and naturally when you work from home, you're the one that takes on the predominant burden of the childcare. Mm. Um, but actually with the job that I do, work didn't really stop and there was no such thing as, um, you know, five months off. I had of to course. keep going. Yeah. And the pressure, the pressure to try to do everything is, is so great. And nobody, Nobody asked why my husband was still at work. Well, no, of course he goes to work, mm -hmm. you know. But, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I did feel, I did feel a certain amount of guilt in that first instance when I said, I need my daughter to go to nursery so I can work. Absolutely. And we see that guilt with Leila as well. She wants to, you know, be there for Jacob, but at the same time, she has her own desires and needs and responsibilities outside of the family. And I think that there was recently um, an article about, you know, shared responsibilities during lockdown. And it seemed like the, you know, the brunt of it fell on women to sort of look after the children um, during the lockdown. The lockdown actually has changed all of our lives over the, the last few months. And when we're living through such a strange period, which doesn't bear any relationship to the, to the life that we knew only sort of six, seven months ago. Um, and in the book, the characters are both socially and geographically distinct from each other and have been separated. But we are experiencing the exact opposite at the moment. And we're all on top of each other trying to get our way through lockdown. And I wonder, how have you been dealing with lockdown as a writer? I know I found it really difficult. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, it, it's up and down every day. Um, at the very beginning of the lockdown, I found it really challenging to write anything. 
because you yes. know you have so much on your mind and it's difficult to be creative um creativity which demands a sort of a certain freedom um yes to to create anything under those conditions was really challenging so there were a few weeks when i wasn't producing anything and then of course out of touch came out at the very start almost the start of lockdown and so yes. there was that added pressure of doing everything online and being sort of hooked to a screen um, for much yeah. of the day. So it did absolutely take a toll on me, on my mental health, I would say. But recently, you know, I've been able to get back into writing and I just sent off um, a draft of my second novel to my uh, agent, which is really exciting. And I'm, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. And um, I'm now, I've got this inspiring idea for a third novel and I've started to actually write it after fleshing it out. So it's, it's better now because I really think it has to do with getting used to something and the fear calming a bit, um, which has allowed me to, to be creative again and, 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 to, and also not checking the news as, as often. I think we've all done that. Yeah, it's, it's been helpful to step away from that. Uh, I'm so pleased for you that you've managed to get your second book off to your agent and come up with a third idea. Thank you. How has it been for you? Have you been able to produce and, and write? I mean, it must be more challenging as well because you're looking after, is it your daughter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were all at home together. Mm. My husband, because he's a key worker, he pretty much carried on seeing patients all the way through lockdown. It mm. wasn't possible for us to all be at home together. Um, so I was trying to work and I did do a certain amount each day, but it was nowhere near the normal level of output that I'd have. Um, but my daughter has returned to school now, so um, I'm pretty much back to normal. I mean, to be honest with you, my life is like lockdown. I stay at home every day. <laughs> so, so nothing much has changed in that respect. The only, the only big difference for me is that I don't have the responsibility of 24 hours a day childcare. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm feeling much more, much more creative now than I was, um, a few months ago. And I'm, and I'm writing again and editing what's also my second book. So oh, brilliant. That's great to hear. And what do you think about that, actually? Because you just said about um, sending your your manuscript to an agent, and I've I've just um, pitched a new manuscript idea to my agent, and I'm editing a second book with my editor through the publishing house. And I think you know we're we're both so lucky in the sense that we have agents and editors who can help guide us. Mm. But many writers are not in that position of privilege and I saw on your website that you have this lovely series which is um, a video series to help writers prep their manuscript and approach agents and Mm. I I really like the videos that you have created and I wondered how I wondered what you might think a writer who's seeking representation needs on a on a wider level what can we do to help writers achieve their goals yes it's it's really challenging to um to have representation, to have an agent nowadays, because, you know, they receive so many uh, manuscripts and it's just, and, and um, just to be published as well, it's, it can be quite challenging to find a publisher even once you have an agent. So I can understand, you know, the challenges that aspiring writers face. And honestly, the, the best advice I can give is to, not take it personally. I mean, it sounds 
actually a bit patronizing because it's it can be difficult not to take it personally but it's to know that you know you it, it doesn't reflect on your writing you know there's some amazing writers out there who don't have an agent or a publisher and it has nothing to do with the quality of their work and so um Yes, really with the querying, um, I did create a video that has to do with querying. And a lot of it does have to do sort of with um, following certain guidelines or, but at, at the same time, even if you have put together a great querying package, so much of it has to do with, you know, just the agent being even in the receptive mood that day when they come across your work. It's yeah. a lot of yeah. it has to do with things outside of your control. Um, and it, it could just be about how full their list is. And so that's why I do recommend that you have a look at um, the size of the agents list that you query and to, and to query a range of agents. So those who might have quite a full list, but that you're really interested in, those with a more medium-sized list, and those who are starting out and who are really keen and eager um, to build their list. So there's a lot of different factors that go into um, the success of you know, finding representation, but just to remember that it does not necessarily reflect on the quality of the work and you as a writer, that it is an extremely challenging um, thing to, to land an agent, and often it has nothing to do with your with, your, with the work that you put out there. One of the other things that you mentioned in one of your videos is about agents who actively support marginalized writers. And yes. I wondered what you thought maybe publishing could do to try to open its doors to a wider populace. Oh gosh, yeah, they can do a lot. <laughs> uh, there's, there are some things that are happening now that you know I think that uh, publishers can learn from. For instance, Penguin Random House, um, they're running the Right Now program, uh, which I took part in actually. It's essentially um, a platform through which aspiring writers can submit um, a chapter of their book. And, you know, if, and these are writers from marginalized backgrounds. So whether they're people of color or um, sort of from communities that are often aren't represented um, widely in, in publishing. They can submit the first chapter of their work and they can get feedback from an editor if they make it through um, to the next round and they can get a lot of advice um, from agents and from editors about you know, how to go about the process. Um, because the publishing process, it is quite complicated and having guidance is helpful. Um, and yes. you know, it, it's, it's a mentorship scheme essentially, which I think um, is brilliant and it was really helpful in giving me a boost. Um, I think that promoting editors um, within publishing houses who, you know, who are, let's say, who are from marginalized backgrounds is, is a really positive thing to do. Uh, it's really important so that it's not the same stories that are being told over and over again. So we have some variety and inclusion. So making promotions within the publishing houses that's really important too. And um, yeah, there's some great initiatives that have started as um, a result of, you know, some of the discussions that came around the Black Lives Matter um, movement that we saw just recently uh, with the protests. The, the publishing industry at the moment, you know, it, it does need to change and the, the Black Lives Matter movement 
uh, with the protests that recently happened, I think it really shone a spotlight on how we need to do more, you know, um, to give authors from marginalized backgrounds a voice. Um, they have a voice just to give them a platform through which they can, you know, share their stories and their voice. So you've written, you've written book two. It's with your agent. When do you think we can expect that? Oh gosh, there are so many unknowns, <laughs> um, but I have no idea. Um, I'm quite happy with it, but you know when you get really close to your work because you've been working yes. on the book for so yes. long that you can no longer really see, you know, some of the some of the mistakes or just you know some of the issues with the manuscript. So it could yes. be that there's a lot of work still to be done in in sort of getting it ready to then share more widely. So I have no idea, but I'm, I'm really happy with it now. Um, and I, I have some high hopes for it. We'll see, we'll see what happens. And Out of Touch is already released in hardback. Is there a date scheduled for a paperback release? I'm, I should know this. <laughs> do you know what? It's, <laughs> it's so strange with anything that has to do with the next step. I kind of just let it be brought to my attention almost because in that way I'm not worrying too much um, about how the book is doing um, I sort of get prompted <laughs> by the publisher oh this is happening soon and I think oh great I'll now you know spring into action for that but um, I, I reckon it's it's a few months away before the paperback Thank you so much, Hallie, for being here with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about Out of Touch, which is already out in both um, ebook and hardback. We should expect a paperback at any point in the next few months, lockdown and um, COVID pen depending. Um, so just thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. It was an absolute pleasure and uh, it was great to chat about the book. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Helen. Brilliant. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.